1: Live from the Nasdaq Market Site, overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami on the show tonight. It's as if the Fed said, okay, kids, last drink of water, now go to bed. We'll debate the rate cut in more tempered language. Then Starbucks gets a jolt from better sales at home uh, and abroad. The desk will do some bean counting. Oh, we begin with Apple and Facebook, both up about the same after hours on quarterly beats. Josh Lipton's on Facebook. uh, Apple, excuse me, Julie Borson's on Facebook. We start with you, Josh.
2: Yeah,
3: so Just besides the bottom and the top, a few metrics I would call out. iPhone revenue, better than expected at $33.4 billion. Revenue was down 9%, though remember that's a sequential improvement. Q3, it was down 12%. iPad revenue, Mac revenue, a bit lighter than expected, but wearables, home, and accessories... Better than expected at six point five billion and services revenue up eighteen percent, also better than expected at twelve point five one billion. And that all important Q one forecast there, um Mel, Apple's gotten between eighty five point five and eighty-nine point five billion at the high end. The street was at eighty seven billion. One of the metrics, I would just call it, greater China revenue, down 2%. Remember that, though, again, a sequential improvement. In Q3, it was down about 4%. I did have the chance to catch up uh, with CEO Tim Cook. We talked about another number of trends and themes. One was about the competition in video streaming. Obviously, Apple TV Plus launching on Friday. We now know that um, HBO Max, though, is going to launch at $15.00. Um, Apple TV Plus at $5. I asked Cook, you know, is that is that hard and fast? Is that going to shift? Could that $5 rise? Cook telling me, you know, $5 is where we are starting at, but we will see, but we will see what the future holds. I don't want to lock ourselves into one side or the other. We also did talk about supply of some of those new products. You have enough supply does he think to meet demand? Cook telling me, we are manufacturing the absolute most AirPods we can during the quarter, but it may not be enough. We won't really know until the Black Friday and days thereafter, that is a worry of mine, though Cook emphasizing he believes that's a good worry to have. Melissa, back to you.
1: All right, Josh, thank you so much. Josh Lipton uh, in Cupertino shares of Facebook also seeing a boost off its quarterly results. Let's get to Julia Borson with the very latest there. Julia.
4: Melissa, Facebook shares up nearly 2 percent on results that beat expectations across the board, showing strength with consumers as well as with advertisers. Now, two key metrics to show Facebook's growth. Average revenue per user, instead of dipping by a penny from Q2 as was expected, grew by 22 cents to seven dollars and was 22 cents better than analyst expectations at seven dollars and 26 cents. And Facebook's most valuable market, North America and Canada, added two million daily active users after two years of stagnation. Brent Thill of Jeffries telling us he was most impressed by the 11% earnings per share beat. On the call, he'll be waiting to hear about guidance, which he says is likely to be conservative. So we'll have to see how the stock reacts to that. Aegis capital analyst Victor Anthony telling us that Facebook once again proved it continues to capture meaningful share of ad budgets users continue to migrate to the platform. He says what's key for the stock now is how the company guides for both revenue and operating expense growth in 2020. Now, at just the same time as Facebook reported its earnings, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey tweeted the announcement that Twitter will stop taking all political and issue ads. He tweeted, quote, a political message earns reach when people decide to follow an account or retweet. Paying for reach removes that decision, forcing highly optimized and targeted political messages on people. We believe this decision should not be compromised by money. Now, this move by Twitter stands in contrast to Facebook's policy to not face check or remove political ads, which has drawn criticism. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has argued that Facebook should not limit free speech. We'll have to see if Zuckerberg weighs in on Twitter's latest move on Facebook's earnings call, which is just now getting underway. Melissa?
1: Julia, is a political act considered an ad that specifically endorses one candidate or is paid by a campaign by for a candidate?
4: Well, yeah. So that's one subset. So there are the political ads that are purchased by candidates for candidates. And then they're what's called issue ads. So this could be something that's an ad for gun control mm-hmm. or an ad against gun control, an ad about an, uh, a hot button political issue like abortion. So this has been something that. Both Facebook and Twitter have made a lot of changes to be very transparent about these ads, wanting to make it very clear about who's purchasing these ads. But this is a big move for Twitter to say, look, this is just not a huge piece of our revenue. And fundamentally, we think it's a better thing for us not to be
1: enabling paid political reach. All right, Julia, thank you, Julia Borston. On Facebook tonight, uh, we've got lots of trade, lots to talk about, but let's start off with Apple. Right now the stock is up by 1.7%, so we're about uh, a percent-plus off the session highs. Guy, what do you make of this, especially as Apple just hit all-time highs yeah, yesterday? So That's what I
5: take away from it. The gross margins, better than expected. The services gross margins, significantly better than expected, 64.1%. Now, services are now 20% of this quarter's revenue. That's good. Could it have been 21%, 22% would have made me happier? I guess, but I think that's fine. I think the first quarter guide is fine. I don't think it's anything remarkable. I think the question is, has the run from 175 to 245, wherever we are, uh, been too much too fast? And does it stall out here? I don't think it should. I think it's good enough to keep it
6: going, but the market will be the ultimate juror. Mm-hmm. I think Apple was, as we all know, a hardware company. Then it was a, then it was a services company. In terms of the, Perception. the bull case. Perception. Uh-huh. And, and now when you have people talking about maybe hardware is going to be better than it was once perceived to be, and then you throw in wearables on top of it, and services are up 18%, sounds to me like it's probably getting to that price target of maybe 280 or thereabouts. I've been long. I'm staying along the name.
1: Yeah. Record revenues for services. This
7: yeah. I mean, we're seeing the evolution happen, and it's obviously there because of the multiple, right? This was trading very much as a hardware multiple. The street has fully embraced the, embraced the story of the evolution. It's now north of an S&P multiple, right? And we'll see if that trend continues. It's pretty good considering what a run the stocks had, right? The bar was not so high because people thought, all right, maybe iPhones, we're not going to see it yet. We'll see it next quarter. I'm wondering if there was any uh, attempt to get iPhones in the channels prior to a potential of, a, of another tariff yeah. raise. I don't know. It was a pretty impressive quarter, though, and I thought uh, the guide was pretty good. I, I'm long. It could trade off a little bit because expectations now are, you know, people are starting, wow, this is great. And then you get a little bit of a frenzy and then some disappointment. I'm long. I like the story. I like the evolution. But it is getting a little pricier.
8: Well, I, I'm long, and I stay long, and, and you say, you know, it's, traded at a, it's trading at a premium. It's about a 7% premium to the S&P, um, which is not unprecedented for this company, but it is unprecedented in the last 10 years. In other words, and, and to take Steve's point, it largely has been making this transition. as a hardware company, which is now a hybrid multiple, and now trading at about 18 times. Uh, uh, trailing. Uh, and if you, get a, if you get a dynamic here where I think people are starting to really grind into this whole services revenue, it's now $50 billion annualized services company. Um, this is where that multiple probably needs to go a whole lot higher. And to what Guy was saying, you know, wh- where does it come from? Look, the stock's rallied 18% um, above the S&P since the last earnings period. It's outperformed the S&P by 1,800 basis points. So that's extraordinary. But what can it do? I, I still think the big institutional market is, is actually underweight this stock. And we've seen the stock go through periods where I think you can actually see our performance. it 's overbought technically right now, whatever that means there 's a lot of people that define that word differently. But if you look at relative strength indicators and if you look at where it 's been, I think this stock can move higher that first that q1 that fiscal q one guide. I I think is pretty extraordinary when you consider where expectations were.
1: I would have thought the sigh of relief in the after hour session might have been a little bit greater in response to what the CFO is saying about China. Greater China. He's saying, yeah, uh, China business has improved. Response to iPhones, they're very good, is his quote. Um, And overall on track for a strong Christmas sales season. But the fear was that we were setting up much like we were one year ago when we had a run-up in the shares, and then we had a disappointing uh, fourth quarter or disappointing guide, and that was because of
5: China. Right. Well, I mean, we'll see if that manifests itself. There's, there's a conference call that's going to happen. We'll hear a lot of different things. But, you know, some companies, you know, Apple's had its ups and downs, but some seem impervious. I mean, Starbucks has made similar commentary. Nike has as well. So good for Apple. I, again, the first quarter guide is I don't, extraordinary. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think it's good. I don't think it's great. I think it's, this quarter was good enough. The gross margin improvement, I think, is significant. And, the fact, to Tim's point, now services is a $50 billion business. Gives them
6: a should give them a multiple closer to twenty two. And I don't think people bought it going. I don't think people were overly bullish coming into this print. We started here. That's Apple my we, start, we started a heat, as we started, much The started, stock this, is
1: up a the lot. lot. The stock hit up highs highs yesterday, but it wasn't yeah.
6: about it, We started to see people to talking about hardware as as more of a tailwind or more of a surprise to the upside. But I don't think, as Tim mentioned, I don't think people got overwhelmingly long. Ahead of this print, I think there's people that were waiting for this print. I think this print could be the catalyst for people to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to take a I'm going to take a stab at this because I think I have 10% upside from this point."
7: Right. Well, let me just add one more thing. Uh-huh. The uh, the uh, Steve Cook talking about the uh, AirPods um, and how wearables. Wearables, right? Can't make enough. That's his worry. I mean, that's uh, pretty bullish. Yeah, that's pretty bullish. Well, yeah. Th-
8: th- th- Go ahead. As services wearables were the bright spot here. I think you get to a place where I think the street is going to be scrambling to upgrade. And I think you have a case here where there's a handful of folks that have been very bullish. Um, some... Scrambling
1: to upgrade. We've had we have every single firm uh, come uh, out raising uh, their price target, tripping over themselves. But
8: reaffirmation of services revenue with that margin gives people the reason to raise their price on a stock that, frankly, I think they want to raise on. And, right. and, and I think the institutional world is underway.
1: I think this after our session would be very interesting right. in terms of the trade on this stock. 1.5%. Um, let's get to Facebook now. What do we make of this quarter? Karen, Or your take? I mean, that revenue growth is... is
7: uh, that's uh, extraordinary. I mean, this is an extraordinary business. We know that. I think in light of what the Twitter is saying, this is interesting. Is this, all right, all that money, all those ads will go to Facebook? Or is it, all right, Facebook, now you're under pressure to start thinking about doing the same? That obviously would be a negative for revenue for Facebook. I think, I mean, this is an extraordinary business. I can't tell Operating expenses, they can put a whole lot of stuff in there, right? And I, if I were there, I wouldn't want to report an absolutely gigantic quarter mm-hmm. when you're under such scrutiny about, you know, you're being a monopoly. So, or a... It old, is what it know, is,
8: though. What are you going to do?
7: You, I think you can you put in operating expenses. We don't know exactly what's in there, right? You could put a lot of costs in there. But I, I'm still long. I think that uh, it's an extraordinary business, not at an extraordinary price. And I'm staying long.
8: Guy, yeah, you know the initials. What are they? FB. Well, that, too. I was going <laughs> to oh, say ARPU. I was going to oh, say oh, ARPU. Yeah. So I was happy you knew FB. But that was pretty <laughs> cool. Um, yes, that's the stock ticker guy. I, I think if when you look at the 726 on the ARPU, this is pretty extraordinary. Karen talked about the growth. How about the
1: Average in- revenue per user. Uh, sorry, remind uh, uh, we don't talk about that every night. I no, thought that was do, ingrained in, in people's heads.
8: Well, uh, But I, I think the ad revenue growth year over year of 29% is just extraordinary when you consider the size of this company. And they're out there telling you, and if you look at the headlines right now, um, $2.8 billion users a month use one of their services on a monthly basis. $2.8 billion. And, and that's why when people talk about the regulatory breakup and people start to talk about some of the parts, you know that there are other businesses here that are under-monetized.
1: Okay. Um, let's bring in Gene Munster, our Fast Money friend, founder of Loop Ventures. He's sitting here, actually, on this desk. He shouldn't <laughs> have nice to, to have you. Yeah. Um, let's, Thank you. We, we the flesh We got you for, for both of these stocks, but I want to start with Facebook, since that's the last thing that we discussed. And I, I feel almost like... Investors are holding their breath for the conference call and what they're going to say about the OPEX guide. Because that's always the bombshell.
9: That's the bombshell that's happened, I guess, two of the last five quarters. And so it makes sense to hold your breath for that. Ultimately, they laid some of the groundwork to expect uh, expenses growing faster than revenue. So we'll get some context around guidance. Uh, I think that the probability that something is really off base during that earnings call is relatively low, just given at the core, there's two real takeaways here. One is that the users aren't going anywhere. Uh, Impressive, over the last five quarters since uh, Cambridge Analytic, they have continued to grow 8% year over year. And separately, this this concept that advertisers don't have any place to go. Um, I'm old. I'm 50. I don't use Instagram. I don't think that Facebook or Instagram are good for this world. Uh, But despite my uh, beliefs, I think this stock is likely going higher.
1: So in terms of the advertisers being locked in, in terms of the users being locked in, and really no movement on those two fronts, does that help or hurt Facebook in the face of regulatory concerns? And should and how should investors react to that? Because on the one hand, it's a very good thing for, from the investor standpoint. On the other hand, if it bolsters a regulator's case, then that could be a very bad thing.
9: Yeah, I think that Google's probably at the biggest risk when it comes to this regulation. I think Facebook is, has a, a much lower risk, but is probably number two. And I think at the end of the day, is it, probably, it will elevate uh, Facebook's uh, risk, specifically how they have shifted people from Facebook to Instagram using uh, uh, that, that connection point as a competitive advantage. Gene,
5: understanding there's dialogue to come in Facebook, with that said, if just the quarter, if that's all we heard, operating margins were forty point seven percent i mean i that's as high as i think i remember seeing them free cash flow was five point six billion much better than the street was looking for i'm surprised the stock isn't significantly higher than it is now are you
9: I'm not, just because analysts have been, you know, we talked about what analysts have been doing with Apple. I think it's been an order of magnitude more bullish around Facebook over the last few weeks. And uh, so I think expectations were uh, excessively high going into this. And so I'm not surprised to see the stock uh, only up a little bit here.
3: Okay, Ge-
1: oh, well, well, we want to switch to uh, Apple before we move on here. So, Gene, what, what was your take? Uh, and how do, you, how do you think the stock is going to, to finish the after hour session?
9: So this is a flawless, almost a flawless quarter. They did have the hiccup around the Mac and the iPad. But overall, don't want to spend a ton of time on that. I want to shift to what the next, call it, four to eight quarters are going to look like. And the comps get easier because of what we've experienced for the last few years. And then separately, they're going to get the uh, iPhone 5G. The iPhone 5G cycle is likely going to be a couple years. So you can build a case that this, uh, there's relatively clear ceiling. As much as you can in a company like this over the next one to two years. I mean, quite impressive. That's one takeaway. Second, is we've talked about wearables and services. Put those two together, they account for 28% of the business, and they are likely growing at 25%. So uh, this concept, and this gets to my third point about the stock, is essentially what's happened is they've taken a core product with the iPhone and they've built other products around it with uh, services and wearables. And that other piece is becoming a really important part of the story. That to me is a consumer staple company. That's a company that should be at a minimum valued at something similar to Coca-Cola and to Procter & Gamble at a 25 multiple which should yield a $350 stock. I was an analyst for a long time. I know the concerns and the fear that analysts have and why they only raise their price target a little bit ahead. And I think analysts need to look themselves in the mirror and say, Uh, Think about this company over the next two years and think about them becoming a consumer staple company and properly rate it at a 25 multiple. I'm waiting for that analyst to come out and really put the stake in the ground because I think that's ultimately what's going on. Well, uh, you know what? <laughs> I no longer work for an investment bank, but I'm, I, I definitely believe this should be a $350 stock. I don't want to say if it's the next year or year and a half, but I think it's going measurably higher.
1: I, I think that the baseline, though, for that argument is that Coca-Cola should be valued at 25 times. Right.
9: Now, maybe, yeah. And, may, fair. and I think
1: that there would be a lot of people who say it shouldn't be valued at 25 Procter Gamble. Times. So if you're or, going to make that yeah. parallel, there's also a dangerous side to that parallel, and that is if Coke is really worth, I don't know what... 18, 18
9: times. Yeah. Yeah. 18, yeah. Well, Let's say? No, so, but it's, tr- it's traded closer to 30. Th- then... Uh, you know I, I think this concept of a consumer staple company it 's different than what 's going on with Facebook or Google or some of the other tech Amazon, some of the other tech giants it 's the only company that can tie it all together. The challenge is they 're really expensive products, and most of the world can 't afford them. but that said is that they 're actually tying everything together and I uh, understand the concerns about that multiple, but I, I believe that uh, Apple should uh, just investors and analysts need to rethink this and give it at least a fair multiple.
1: Okay, we'll be following these two stocks the whole evening. Facebook is up 3%. Apple is up 1.7%. Gene will check in with you a little bit later on. Coming up, Starbucks shares heating up on earnings. That call is currently underway. We'll give you all the highlights. Plus, Bank of America's head of ETF strategy will be here to weigh in on the Fed's rate cut decision. She'll tell us what this means for the market, what to expect at the central bank's December meeting. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. That break news from the MGM earnings call, Contessa Brewers got the story. Hey,
10: Contessa. Hey, Melissa. CEO Jim Murren says he plans to sell the MGM grant on the Las Vegas Strip, and we should see some movement toward that. By the end of this year, Murrin hinted at this when I spoke to him two weeks ago when he announced the sale of the Bellagio and Circus Circus. This is all part of MGM Resorts' plan to go asset light rather than capital intensive. They're really looking to monetize those real estate assets. And MGM Resorts will use those proceeds to fund three big targets here. EBITDA next year of $3.6 billion to $3.9 billion. The street consensus on that is $3.4 billion. So MGM says it's on track for that higher EBITDA. Uh, consensus over our, uh, over all the regions. There, two free cash flow per share, 350, and three. They want leverage of three to four times domestically, one times leverage. As the leverage comes down, I'm told buybacks and dividends will go up. The stock, right after the earnings were released, dropped 3.3 percent. Now they've rebounded somewhat, up now in the positive territory in extended trading. Melissa.
1: So, Contessa, just to be straight, this is an outright sale, or are they selling it and then they would do what they it? did with the Bellagio, which is mm-hmm. you're selling the actual land
10: under the property, but continuing to operate it yourself, and that's the way they're maximizing the value. And don't forget, they have they had spun off a lot of their properties to uh,
1: MGP, and, and still own something like sixty percent of a stake in that company. All right. Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer uh, with the news uh, from MGM. Guy, where do you stand on MGM? they
5: market multiple. They trade around 18 and a half times next year's numbers. I, I think if, for me, I think if you want to trade something with the same multiple, I think wins a better bet because I think you get some tailwinds for a potential deal with the Chinese. So if you're forcing me to play the great game that we often play on this desk... I'm not
1: forcing you <laughs> to do anything. So would you, know. you
5: rather? Just so you know. I never force. That's an excellent point by There's you. no coercion He's on this There's no coercion. But I'm going to self-play, and I would rather <laughs> uh, win.
6: So if you, if you look at win, win's up 25% year-to-date. Las Vegas is up 20%, and MGM is up 20%. The two former names have a bigger Macau uh, exposure But I would go Las Vegas because then you get Singapore in there as well. So you get three venues versus Macau that you're betting on just trade getting better. And MGM, way too Vegas dependent.
1: Let's stick with earnings here. Starbucks shares are perking up on its results. Kay Rogers is all over the after-hours action.
2: Hey, I like that, Melissa. Hi. So a strong fourth quarter for Starbucks. EPS coming in right in line. Revenues beating expectations. Comps increased by 5% globally, 6% in the U.S., both better than expectations. And in China, comps increased by 5%. That's an important market, too. Those comps in the U.S. and China also both included transaction growth. Starbucks has been focusing on making the in-store experience better, particularly in the U.S. for some of their guests, by moving tasks to after hours for baristas. And the company also said customer connection scores are at an all-time high due to that. Take a listen to CEO Kevin Johnson on the call.
6: We have strong evidence that our approach is working, as demonstrated by the fact that we are seeing traffic growth across all day parks. And we intend to build on this momentum in the year ahead. We continue to see a strong correlation between Starbucks partner engagement and customer connection, which leads to increased customer frequency.
2: Now, beverages also continue to boost same-store sales, particularly cold beverages, which COO Roz Brewer has told us in the past tend to really sell well all year around. Now, the company also said that cold beverages are growing across all day parts. Now, in China, Starbucks has surpassed 4,000 stores. It's currently offering delivery in 3,000 locations. Mobile order sales are now 10 percent of the sales mix in Q4 in China. The company also said it has 17.6 million active Starbucks rewards members in the U.S. That's up 15 percent year-on-year. And in China, Starbucks now has 10 million active rewards members up 45% year-on-year, and the stock, Melissa, is up about 30% year-to-date. Back over to you. All right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers, Tim Seymour,
8: Starbucks. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Look, the numbers are fine. I love those US comps at 6%. Uh, I love the membership services up almost 7. They got 17.5 million uh, in terms of their subscription services. Um, That's up about 15% year-over-year. That's driving higher, not only loyalty, but but ticket prices. Um, I think the 2,000 stores growth for for this year is also uh, a little better than expected, although I think people are more concerned about margins and actually getting those comps higher. And I think these numbers are great. Again, stock pulled back 17% into the number after hitting almost 100 bucks.
1: A 3% increase in the average ticket
8: for Starbucks, which is great.
7: Yeah, I mean, I like the 2020 revenue guy ups, you know, six to eight. That, that's tremendous when you're, I mean, I don't know, we're seeing it across why the board. Are they, Big companies that are really
6: putting up huge. Why are you pushing for mobile? Don't you want, they're working on the stores. They're trying to make it a better experience and you get those add-on sales when you're in front. I know whenever I'm in Starbucks, I'm always picking up something else. When I'm in Starbucks, why would you want to push those nationwide? Because maybe that out. person
1: wouldn't be there at all. Or you order mobile, you go in the store, you might pick up something else anyway. Yeah,
6: but a lot of these. No, I'm talking about with Uber. Oh. With Uber, when you're looking at deliveries with Uber, they're trying to roll out nationwide next year. So if they're going to be nationwide here, and now they have their agreement with Alibaba that, that they're all over the place in China as far as delivery, don't you want people actually, to your point, getting in, picking up in store? buying something but else. I,
7: is, it, is, it the, is that person going to do that or are they just well, not going go? right. they to go? I think they're not going to go.
6: Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a but person they, that is familiar with the product. You don't just sit there and say, wow, I'm going to get a mobile delivery today. It's a person who has been in the store and now can get it in their office. So I would think that you kind of want them. You don't want to make it too easy. You're making a purchase, mm-hmm. though, that
8: you might not be making. And then right. the other thing what yeah. we're seeing about deliveries is that those tickets, those, t- yeah. those tickets are larger tickets on delivery. So if you look at the average ticket, uh, when you add the delivery in, it's, it's, it's for every fast food player. But for Starbucks, we've seen it. All
5: right. It's interesting. I was trying to figure out how they increase their margins. I know because a year ago I bought a croissant that was
1: <laughs> Croissants. Croissant. They sell croissants. It was
5: lovely. And this year it was about one fifth the size for the same price. <laughs> maybe, maybe, that. You maybe you got bigger. I, maybe I got bigger. Yeah. <laughs> but it becomes this now comes down to valuation. Karen's talking about the guide. I get it. But you know if they're going to make three dollars and ten cents, let's just say next year. I mean you're talking about a ninety dollar stock. That's a thirty multiple. That's in lofty levels. Not suggesting it doesn't deserve it, but you're getting a little rich here in Starbucks.
1: For more on Starbucks earnings, you can head on over to CNBC.com. Plus, tune in to Squawk on the Street, a first on CNBC interview with CEO Kevin Johnson. That is Friday, 9.35 a.m. Eastern Time. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Much more fast coming up.
0: It's all about earnings today on Fast Money. We'll bring you the biggest takeaways from the Apple and Facebook conference calls and break down what it all means. And later, shares of General Electric topping the tape today. But can the momentum continue? All that and more when Fast Money returns.
11: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place?
4: Welcome back to Fast Money. I'm Julia Borston with an alert on Facebook. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg kicking off his earnings call by defending Facebook's position to run political advertising. Of course, this comes just after Twitter announced that they will no longer run any political or issue ads. Take a listen to what Mark Zuckerberg had to say.
6: We estimate that these ads
9: from politicians will be less than 0.5% of our revenue next year. So that's not why we're doing this. To put this in perspective, the FTC fine that these same critics said wouldn't be enough to change our incentives was more than 10x bigger than this. So the reality is is that we believe deeply uh, that political speech is important, and that's what's driving us.
4: Um, I just want to note here that CFO David Weiner just made the comment that the rev- about the revenue outlook, saying they expect a more pronounced deceleration of the revenue growth rate in Q4 um, and said that, therefore, 2020 deceleration would be less pronounced. Pronounced, guys, back over to you.
1: Thank you very much, Julia Boorstin. Um I-, I don't know how I feel about what Mark Zuckerberg said. It seemed like sort of a weak argument to make that it- we have such... A small amount of revenue as a percentage from political ads, and we believe that political speech is important. They're not being asked to ban political speech, uh-huh. or they're not, that's not the issue here with Twitter. They're banning political ads. There's a difference. So it would be inconsequential uh-huh. to, their, to their bottom, to their revenue line. And
7: I, I, I'm sorry. I thought I heard that as ads. Politi- I don't know. I, don't, I understand what you're saying. If it's not political ads, that's tiny. If it's political speech that ultimately leads to ads, is that what you're saying? Then it would be No, no, no.
1: Political ads is a is small tiny, percentage tiny, of Yeah, right. so they could easily do away with it and they would feel no impact financially. Right. But he's saying that's not what would Because we believe political yes. speech is important. Right. But there's a difference between political ads and political speech.
8: Well and and political uh, speech but- is certainly at the core of some of their biggest issues, no? I mean, I I think that that's... So, uh, you know, ultimately, it's nice to point out that we're not reliant on elections, um, but I think what people really care about is have you gotten uh, a handle on the security issues on your site? And I'm not sure that... And again, we're waiting for the call to hear about margins. I think they're going to continue to have to spend.
6: I I don't think he wants to do it because it's going to open up Pandora's box. And and what else is he going to have to control? I don't think they can do it. I don't How would you start to use that, le- that leverage, how do you know what to shut down, what not to shut down, how much investigative work do you have to do? If they're worried about breaches, worry about breaches. You could spend money and you have security breaches, that's one issue. But when you're worried about this, and, and, and by the way, when Twitter says that they're not going to have it, and you get a lot of guys that, a lot of, a lot of people, not guys, just guys, money managers <laughs> that want to sell Facebook and buy Twitter. Based on performance, based on performance where you lighten up on a, on a Facebook position and then you buy Twitter that's down 26% recently. Those people that are investing are thinking twice because now you have to see what type of a material impact you're going to get on Twitter. So Twitter just talked themselves into a bigger decline. So if you're waiting for something in the hole to buy Twitter, wait, because you're going to get a chance probably in the mid 20s and see where it
0: lies from there.
1: All right, let's switch gears here. The Federal Reserve cutting rates again today, but also indicating it may be the last one for a while. Let's get to see Lisa with the latest on this. Steve.
0: Hey, Melissa, that's all, folks. Fed Chairman Jay Powell stepping to the podium today after the Fed cut rates for the third time this year and announced in no uncertain terms The Fed is on hold unless there is a material change to expectations.
6: So we think that the current stance of policy is likely to remain appropriate, likely to remain appropriate, as long as incoming information about the economy is broadly consistent with our outlook, which is a positive one of moderate economic growth, strong labor market, and inflation moving close to 2%.
0: The rate cut brings the Fed's overnight lending rate down to one and a half to one and three quarters percent. Trade concerns and global economic weakness were behind the cut this time. But Powell suggested the Fed had provided a lot of help to the economy already. And that seemed like enough for now. In its statement, the Fed dropping that critical phrase from prior announcement that it would, quote, act as appropriate. That had been the signal to markets that rate cuts were on the way. Instead, the Fed now says it will assess the appropriate path of the funds rate. And that means being on hold for a while now. What would it take, so, for the Fed to resume cutting? Powell said that economic data would have to come in much weaker than the Fed expects. And how about a hike? Powell said that's far off, too.
6: I think we would need to see a really significant move up in inflation that's persistent before we even consider raising rates to address inflation concerns.
0: Markets now see just a 20 percent chance of a rate cut in December, and they don't bake another cut in until March and just barely at that. Melissa, here's a trivia question for you. You ready? Yep. Pressure's what off. was what was the funds rate expectation for 2020 this time last year? Oh, for
1: 2020. For 2020. Wow. 75? So it must I don't know. Must th- be close to three.
0: three.
1: What was oh, it, Steve? Three point
0: four. Oh wow. Okay, so what is it now? Let's do some 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 high level math okay. on national television here. <laughs> and I know you're a Harvard person, so you'll do this I wasn't quickly. a math person. I'm sure, just yeah. University of <laughs> Buffalo, but you know, let's see if we can do this, okay? So 3.4 mm-hmm. and now we're at 1.62 which I yeah. think is like 1.78. So yeah. there's been 1.8% of relief. Sure. Of 75 basis points come from actual cuts, but a percentage point coming off of the expectations for future rate cuts. So that's we're sort of Powell that's Powell's thinking right there that we provided relief, we cut the we we stopped reducing the balance sheet uh-huh. and we got rid of the hikes we were going to give and we cut rates.
1: I think that's a nice way of, of thinking about it. But a lot has changed also in the past year in terms of the data and economic expectations. Yeah, right? and, y- so. and
0: yada, yada, yada. We had a trade war, <laughs> yeah. right? I a mean, minor
1: details. A minor detail. But, that, no you know, it's no know,
0: That's a really good point, Melissa. And, and actually, Powell made, made a point about this, which is worth saying. He says, you know what? We have the same economic outcome that we projected. But we're only getting there with a much lower Fed funds rate. So that's really what he's saying. We've incorporated all of this global economic weakness and the trade war. Now He does does, basically have this optimistic outlook on the economy, but only getting there through a much lower funds rate than they initially projected, they would get there, which was a 2% growth rate.
1: Okay. Steve, thank you, as always. Pleasure. Steve Leesman coming to us from Washington, D.C. For more on the uh, Fed decision today, let's bring in Marianne Bartels, head of ETF strategy at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Marianne, welcome. Thank you. Um, so we saw Fed Funds futures go down uh, for in terms of the expectations for a December cut. Are you there? Do you think that there's only a 20% chance? So our economists um, are there for this year. Oh, yeah. But they're still concerned that
12: the economy can slow going into 2020, so we haven't taken another rate cut off the table. We still think that there's risk that you get a rate cut in the first quarter of 20.
7: So, what's your expectation about global growth? Do you think that the rest of the world is bottoming, and that provides some floor?
12: Well, we've been right. The, the
7: global economy's been slowing. The U.S. is
12: slowing, but not enough to see a global recession. So we stay in that in that camp. Is that we kind of like muddle along, muddle our way through without seeing a major recession. Right, there's some European economies that are on the on the verge of a recession, um, but we don't see any ma- major global recession.
1: So, if you see trouble ahead for the economy next year, your investing is in terms of the sectors that you like are are cyclical. So, how do you sort of navigate that? Are you in it? For now, <laughs> or so, yeah. So we
12: still we still like cyclicals because we're not calling for a recession. We still think the Fed will remain very accommodative, and we think cyclicals that are attractive on terms of valuation, particularly the financials. We actually still really like the financials. Um, we also cover ETFs. That's kind of one of my new roles at the bank, and uh, one of the ways that you can do that is through the KBW. BETF, which covers uh, the KBW uh, bank, we still find them to be very attractive. They've got clean balance sheets. Uh, they're still attractive uh, for dividend yields. So for the longer term investor, uh, we think there's a risk reward that's positive, even if the economy slows down and even if the Fed cuts rates.
5: So the bond market, in terms of volatility, I mean, we saw ten-year yields in the course of a year go from three and a quarter percent to one and a half, back to one eighty-five, one forty-seven. Current levels now. 1- does the volatility in the bond market, which is significantly larger in terms of market cap than the equity market, is that concerning at all? Because if you associated the same volatility in the equity market, we'd have be having much different conversations, I think, on this desk every night.
12: Uh, we don't think people are talking enough about that subject. Uh, we wrote about it, the firm wrote about it, how the volatility in the bond market is very high. And if you look at ri- risk adjusted returns the equity market right now looks Butterfly. more yeah looks a lot better uh, than uh, the bond market. Um, I What we're telling people is expect uh, continued volatility in the bond market. Um, we're still forecasting our rate strategist still thinks that rates are going down, even though they've temporarily backed
1: up uh, in here that the trend uh, in rates are still lower. Okay. Marianne, great to see you. Thank you so much. Marianne Bartels, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. What I thought was interesting was the equity markets were pretty stable Mm -hmm. throughout the press conference, but what we did see was we saw buying in the TLT. It was up 1.5%. What would you make of that?
8: Well, it was interesting. So the yield yield curve flattened a bit, and and essentially the Fed who told you... uh, We're going to assess the appropriate path was today's hawkishness. Um, Dollar closed down at the 200-day, so the dollar weakened up and yields went down. It told you that the Fed is actually going to be more accommodative than you had thought. All
1: right, coming up, we're all over big tech earnings with Apple and Facebook and Lyft. They're all on the move in the after hour session. We're bringing back our tech earnings renaissance man, Gene Munster, to grade the results. Much more fast money coming up. fast Tech out shares of Lyft uh, cruising higher. Off oh. of the after I love the groans. Rideshare company uh, beating on the top and the bottom lines, raising its guidance for the rest of the year. Lyft's CFO telling our own Dia Drobosa earlier today that the company is now quote-unquote laser-focused on its path to profitability since its IPO debut back in March. Lyft shares have been rolling downhill,
8: Wow, uh, oh, falling more than
1: 39%, but are today's results are a sign that the stock is now heading for a oh, no. U-turn?
8: Ow. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> it's
1: great. Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean,
7: they've been telegraphed a little bit. Not too long ago, maybe about two weeks ago, they said they expect to be uh, profitable, I believe, the fourth quarter of 21. So that sort of gave you this is not wildly different from that. So that was sort of a heads up. Good for the industry. Maybe we're starting to see some some rationalization of pricing should be good for Uber,
1: but I'd rather own Lyft. Yeah, um, Uber, by the way, is down a percent in the after-hour session. So I th- think that's an interesting reaction. You have, to pick,
6: you have to pick which side of the fence you want. Do you want Uber that has a lot of levers to pull and can be a little more diversified? They, obviously, the market wants to know that they're laser focused on this. But I would rather be an owner of Uber. Even if some of those businesses are not going to be profitable, I'd rather know that there's a couple of different buckets that you could choose from versus having one.
1: But if you know that the other businesses might not be profitable, then they're not levers to pull.
6: Well they're just drafts. You have one and I'm not sure that could be profitable, so you only have one it option. So I'd rather have a couple of buckets versus one that I know. But those can't other be. parts, the buckets are leaking, those right. other people. <laughs> we'll <laughs> I mean, well, we'll, right. we'll, we'll drive right. five leaky buckets or
8: one. But there. There was an environment <laughs> in where in the market people wanted those add-ons to 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 their car. So um, I think that was where Uber was getting it. But but in fact, that's right. I mean it's 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 driving with the brake on. You have a case here uh, where I think people are rewarding the pure play, even though structurally I I wouldn't get excited by these numbers at all. I mean, the short interest is 6% on the stock. There's no one, uh, there's very little confidence out there, and these numbers don't sway that confidence, even for the one that's supposed to be the pure play. See,
5: I'll say I actually, like Lyft. you go back to the July quarter, this was a $60 stock. They told us about a pathway to profitability. If you remember in the after hours, it was a $63.5 stock. And to me, the only thing that derailed it, other than Uber, which was, A disaster was the fact that the lockup came due, and we're talking about 295 million shares or so coming free, I think it was some August 8th, the 18th. Now it's a $43 stock, and again, they're laser-focused on profitability. I understand the Uber argument, but again, second time tonight, would you rather? I absolutely would rather live would you rather? Twice. Twice. Once.
1: <laughs> Same show. Coming up, energy stocks getting zapped this year as the worst performing sector, but options traders are betting one name in the space is about to come back on, to life on its earnings week. They'll give you the name. Stay tuned. This is just coming in. The White House is responding to Twitter's removal of political ads. Uh, Campaign manager Brad Parscale saying Twitter just walked away from hundreds of millions of dollars of potential revenue, a very dumb decision. Uh, Meantime, Facebook shares have turned sharply higher in the after-hours session, up almost 5% at this point. Um, Let's bring in Gene Munster of Loop Ventures to discuss more about what happened on this conference call. First, your reaction to this and in Is Mark Zuckerberg's statement about political ads and sticking by them, is that why the sock has turned?
9: I think so. I think ultimately Mm -hmm. is that there is this concern that uh, Facebook had a lot of lumpiness in their business, too. We haven't talked as much about it, but going into next year around political ads, and him giving some context that this really isn't going to be lumpy, that everything that they've seen has been... Uh, organic and core and can be relied on. I think that was a, a shot of uh, confidence for investors, and I think that's primarily what's driving the stock higher. It seemed to be pretty tied pretty close to that comment on the call, Zuckerberg's comment about that.
1: Have we gotten anything about OPEX yet?
9: Not much. They've been pretty coy on that piece. I think that at the end of the day that, that uh, this trend of OPEX starting to move more in line with revenue growth is probably going to be the consensus, but they've been a little bit coy on the call.
1: Mm-hmm. And so there's no sense yet for the investor community, whether or not OpEx will have to go up going into the political season, seeing that they are sticking by political ads. Yes.
9: I think the fact that they haven't said that it's going to go up or reiterated that is a sign kind of by deducing. People are deducing that that, in fact, is uh, they're, they're sticking with effectively revenue growing at the same pace as expenses. And I think that also is a, a piece of confidence. I was uh, really surprised to hear that. Again, someone who I try to be as middle of the road as possible, but I have some leanings that are more negative towards Facebook. I was really impressed.
1: Do you think that Twitter's decision is going to hurt it in the long run, and and maybe help Facebook?
9: Yeah, ultimately. I think, yeah, that's going to the irony here, is that this will actually create a little bit more of uh, political advertising related to Facebook's business.
1: Okay. Um, switching gears to Apple, you're busy man. You've got two ears and two calls. <laughs> uh, um, we're still up in the after hour session here, Gene. Anything that stands out to you from they, the
9: call? They uh, came out with a data point that wearables is accelerated to above 50%, so it was 50% for the previous two quarters. It's probably like 55%. But that is just impressive. They also mentioned that three quarters of the new Apple Watch buyers, or, or of Apple Watch buyers, are new to the platform. We estimated that about 75 million Apple Watches have been sold life to date, and that shows that there's a big addressable TAM. Kind of fun fact Apple doesn't break this down. We meticulously go through and, and can back into these numbers. They have now sold about as many AirPods, 75 million, as Apple Watches. And I think another part of the story is to watch the trajectory. They're hinting to this with new wearables. Watch the trajectory around AirPods, obviously AirPods Pro, but they uh, Cook also uh, finally reiterated that Apple's greatest contribution uh, will be healthcare. He said that uh, many times before, which makes me think of other biomarkers related to wearables.
1: Quick grades in the quarters.
9: Uh, I'm going to go with a B plus for Facebook. Originally I was a B, moved that to a B plus, and A minus for Apple. Gene,
1: great, a great to see hard you grader, right? Isn't Thank you. Yeah. Who wants to be in Professor <laughs> in Munster's class? Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Okay, coming up here on Fast Money, we're going to stick with the earnings. Uh, options traders are betting one energy stocks about to surge on its results this week. Plus, take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is breaking down one group of stocks he says is looking too cheap. He's got that and much more coming up, top of the hour Mad Money. We're live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. And we want to issue a quick correction here. Earlier we indicated that this response to Twitter is removing political ads from the uh, Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale was from the White House. It was not from the White House. It was from the Trump campaign. We just wanted to make sure that we made that clearly uh, distinct, that distinction very clear here. So from the campaign, not from the White House. Um, switching gears here, we're closing in on the tail end of a very busy week of earnings, but we are not done yet. Oil giant ExxonMobil reports before the bell tomorrow. After getting out uh, to a hot start in 2019, the stock finds itself in need for some fuel for a turnaround. Shares tumble today in negative territory for the year. Traders in the options market, though, betting this stock is finally about to show some energy. Mike Coe is in sunny Las Vegas to break down all the action. Hey, Mike.
5: Hi there. Yeah, so Exxon saw about two times the average daily options volume today, and it's implying a move of about 2.5 percent on earnings, but it was a longer dated December 72.5 call that saw the most activity. About 2,000 of those were traded for about 27 cents. Buyers of those calls obviously betting it's going to rise above the 72.5 strike price by the quarter that they paid. That's going to be up about seven and a half, eight 8% by December expiration, seven weeks from Friday.
1: Thank you for that, Mike. See you Friday up next, Final Trades. Apple's still up 2% after hours, and uh, Facebook's up 5%. That does a frosty, mark five. that gets 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
3: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.